Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 33. We're going to be looking at the second half of Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 26. As we continue in our series, The Coming King, Comfort for All Who Mourn. Beginning at verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in any presence to uh, offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will restore their fortunes and have mercy on them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, as we come before you this morning, and as we all sit under the authority of your word, teach us, Lord God, we pray. Speak a word into our hearts, to our minds, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, this morning. Use your word by the power of your spirit to transform us and conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have considered this theme of, of God's salvation coming to a people in the midst of mourning. And as we've reflected on the theme, we, we've considered some of, some of the things that produce mourning. Israel's sin against the Lord has resulted in her captivity to a foreign nation, and in that captivity, Israel has suffered the loss of home, the loss of a sense of God's presence and purpose, the loss of loved ones, the loss of possessions, the loss of national identity, the loss of freedom. This is not a complete list by any stretch, yet all these things that I mentioned they cause mourning. Whether as a result of your own sin or the sins of others, many of you in this room have experienced some of the things on this list, if not many of them. If there's another experience of life in this world that can produce mourning, grief, sorrow, 
And that experience is the experience of broken promises. Broken promises. Broken promises can lead us into a season of mourning. Promises that have to do especially with our well-being individually and corporately when broken can leave us shattered. Promises made by governments to care for those under their care when broken can leave a nation in turmoil and mourning. Promises made by spouses to care for each other's lives when broken can leave a marriage in turmoil and mourning. Promises made by religious leaders and civil leaders when broken can leave a community in turmoil and mourning. Promises made by friends to care for each other when broken can leave those friendships soured and those friends in mourning. I could go on, but you get the point. And many of you have had promises made regarding your well-being broken by those who made the promise, by those who swore to do what made for good in your life. Now, you may ask why I'm homing in on this particular cause of mourning in the lives of God's people. And the answer is that in this text, we meet again with the truth that is not new in the Scriptures and that was not new in Israel's experience with the Lord, and that is not new in our experience with the Lord either. And that truth is that our salvation rests on the faithfulness of God to keep His promises. And in particular, our salvation rests on the faithfulness of God to keep a promise that He made to King David centuries before Israel found herself in the situation of exile that she was currently facing. God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Verse 15, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for that he has made to them. That, that branch that was always promised to spring up from David's line is still coming. A king who will sit on David's throne and rule God's people with justice and righteousness forever is still coming. A king who will sit on David's throne and rule God's people with justice and righteousness forever is still coming. While they will not see that true branch in their lifetimes, his existence is the reason that they will experience God's deliverances in their lifetime. He, he's the reason that Babylon will not be able to hold them forever. He's the reason that loss will not be able to hold them forever. Why lack will not be able to hold them forever. Why injustice will not be able to hold them forever. Why unrighteousness will not be able to hold them forever. Why their own sin and failure will not be able to hold them forever. And we who are now looking at this text from the other side of his coming now know why sin cannot hold us forever, why death cannot hold us forever, why injustice cannot hold us forever, and why unrighteousness cannot hold us forever. David's descendant has come, and with him the salvation that God promised. This is what Christmas season is really about. It is God's announcement of a promise fulfilled, and with it, all the blessings that are intended to follow it. 
reconciliation and peace and joy and hope and freedom and the like. You may be mourning today because of the difficulties that you are facing in this life, yet you need not mourn for fear that God will not keep his promises. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is God's answer to you in that fear, and he is God's comfort to you in all your mourning. So I just want to ask and answer this question this morning. Why is he the answer to that fear, and how is he the comfort to us in our mourning? Well, first of all, Jesus is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. In verse 16, the Lord says, in those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The coming of the branch, according to verse 15, would mean the establishment of justice and righteousness in a city that had, be, that had, uh, had come to be defined by injustice and unrighteousness. I read to you last week from Jeremiah 32 where God speaks to some of the things that were going on among his own people, idolatry and oppression, that did not even spare children in its sinfulness. When a nation or a people disregards the establishment of justice and righteousness to the point where even children are disregarded, something has terribly gone wrong. So notice that in verse 16, that, that Israel's return to being a place where justice and righteousness dwell and a place that dwells securely, not, not only externally from the threat of enemy, enemies, but internally from the threat of the enemies of what is right and just is, is rooted first and foremost in the Lord himself. The Lord, God says, will be in Israel's righteousness. He will be the reason that his people are no longer known as the unfaithful city, but the city where justice and righteousness prevail. The branch will bring what those other branches before him, including David, were not able to secure fully within the life of God's people. That the city will be called the Lord is our righteousness flows from the fact that the branch himself will be called by the same name. In Jeremiah 23, where this same prophecy is foretold, we read this in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Verse 6, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In other words, the city will take on the character of its king. The, the, the city will take on the character of its king. The coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to be righteousness for his people. For in Jesus, we have been set right with God by grace alone, through faith alone. And yet having been set right, we are now those who through the power of the Spirit are enabled to walk in righteousness. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We now, brothers and sisters, 
through the Spirit have the power to walk in God's laws. No, we will not be perfect, but that must not present itself as an excuse to persist in unrighteousness. The good news, brothers and sisters, of our being made right with God should show forth in our acting right in all of our relationships in this world, committing ourselves to repentance and faith and renewal when we fail. The church is the community of the Lord, and it should be said among us and about us that this is a place where righteousness dwells, because this is the place where the Lord dwells. Amen, people of God. So the call here is to examine our own lives, individually and corporately, to uncover those places where we are not walking in righteousness, that we might turn from those things and toward the righteousness that God calls us to in those very places. No, our righteous acts do not save us, but we are saved to walk in righteousness. I'll say it again. Our righteous acts do not save us, but we are saved to walk in righteousness. That Jerusalem is going to be called the Lord is our righteousness would not be a name only. God's name is his character. And the city taking on that name would be a city reflecting that character. For some of us, uh, this call to examine ourselves will lead to the exposure of some idolatry in our lives that is keeping us from truly worshiping the Lord with our whole heart. We might discover that we can't truly give our whole selves because we are giving our whole selves to something else. True righteousness begins with the worship of the Lord. It begins with living as though God is my chief end (laughs) because he is. Still for others of us, it may be the other side of that coin. We may discover that we are not walking in righteousness in our relationships with others, that love is not the motive of our hearts and how we treat people, but rather the seeking of our own interests above others. This is often the source of our relational divisions and our relational tensions. We just don't care what happens to another so long as our interests are served. The community called by the name of the Lord should be filled with evidences of the character of that name. I'm not talking perfection here. What I am saying is that a community called righteous should exhibit righteousness in its behavior. And when it fails, repentance, faith, and renewal in that righteousness that God calls us to should be what we are pursuing. Amen, people of God. Jesus is our righteousness. He's also our mediator. In verses 17 to 18, the Lord says, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The promise of an eternal king uh, who will restore righteousness to Israel is followed by a promise to restore Israel's worship through an eternal priesthood. 
Israel's failures as a people were not just found in the palace of the king, they were also found in the house of the Lord. Jeremiah prophesied in, in, Jeremiah, in chapter 5, uh, he, he prophesies, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? And in chapter 6, he says, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. So, so not only were the, were the people's civil lives corrupted by, by the unjust practices in the land, but their spiritual lives were corrupted by the unjust practices in the house of God. Thus, the place that the people were meant to go and meet with God and find help in their time of need became the very place where they were receiving wounds. The church, brothers and sisters, should not be a place of wounding, but a place where people come and find healing. Thus, God's announcement to his people of a revival of a legitimate priesthood was an announcement of his promise to restore access to himself, to remove that which made true worship impossible, to make it possible again for his people to meet with him in worship and find the healing and help in his presence. No wonder the writer of Hebrews, speaking about Jesus, testifies this way. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things and through death that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then he says in chapter 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in our time in need. Through Christ, we have access to God, an access that is eternal because of his sacrifice on our behalf. Thus, in this life, as we encounter injustices, the trials, the tribulations, the hardships, we know that we have in Jesus a mediator, one who is constantly making intercession for us before the Father, Unlike those false priests, he is one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Unlike those false priests, he is one who cares for our need. Unlike those false priests, he is one who makes access between us and God. And in him, we have become a priesthood to God, drawing each other to Christ, the worship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in whom all of our healing resides. Amen, people of God. I want to encourage you this morning, take advantage of the access you have to God through faith in Jesus and know that it is a forever access. Doesn't matter what time of day or night, doesn't matter what kind of day you've had, 
Doesn't matter where you are. Israel would learn this in exile. They were now away from the temple, away from the place of prayer. And yet this word would remind them not only of God's promise to restore them to their homeland and rebuild the temple, but of the fact that the destruction of the temple was not the end of access to him. The promise of an eternal priesthood is the promise of access, an access that we now have through Jesus Christ our Lord. So take advantage of it. Paul in one place tells the church to pray without ceasing. Keep bringing your concerns before God. Keep asking for his provision. Keep asking for his help. Keep asking for his healing. Keep asking for his blessing. I want to remind you, church, again, that Israel would be in exile for 70 years. They were going to need God's help in a number of ways, and so will we. God's promise to us is not a life free of trials. His promise to us is a life filled with his presence. Say it again. The promise is not a life free of trials. The promise is a life filled with the presence of God in the midst of whatever trials we're going through. And so what you need, what you really need in your circumstance is a God who is present to you in those circumstances. And that is exactly what we have in Jesus, our high priest, one who mediates God's presence in our lives because he is the son of God. Amen, people of God. He is our righteousness. He is our mediator. He is our preservation. In verses 23 to 26, we read this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of David, my servant, who will not choose one of his offspring to rule the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore the fort- their fortunes and have mercy on them. Uh, growing up in the black church, I would hear the phrase, God ain't through with me yet. It was spoken as a reminder of God's ongoing work in the life of the person testifying. It, it sometimes came on the heels of a testimony that included failure or hardship that was followed by God's forgiveness and rescue. God ain't through with me yet. What was a way of reminding one's own heart of God's relational faithfulness. But but it was also a way of reminding those who might look in from the outside with judgment at the failures or hardships of the person's life, reminding them that God is faithful to those who belong to him. When Israel Israel sin resulted in her being sent into exile, the conclusions made by some within Israel and some without would have been in keeping with verse 25. The Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus, they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Imagine not, 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 not only feeling rejected by God, but being told by others that you were rejected in such a circumstance. One needs to hear not, not the words of one's own heart, 
and not the words of those who are despising you. Rather, you need to hear the word of God himself. And that word came to Israel both as a reminder of the promise that he had made to David in the past and as a guarantee of his present commitment to keep that promise. So God now repeats in summary in verse 25 what he said in verses 20 to 21, thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and uh, David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the black tradition I grew up in, this was ground for Israel to be able to say to herself, And to those around her, God ain't through with me yet. We may be in exile now. We we may find ourselves in the muck and mire of life. We may may be down and and in some people's minds out. But but our story is not being written by us. And And our story is not being written by those who despise us. Rather, our story is being written by Almighty God. Our story is being written by Almighty God, the God who has bound himself to us in relationship. And that God has declared that if day and night cannot be reversed because of his decree, then neither can his faithful promise to us as his people. Our fortunes, to use the words of the text, are not in anyone's hands but God's. And he has promised to reverse those fortunes, to turn sorrow into joy, to turn mourning into dancing. No wonder then that the angelic host visiting those shepherds centuries later would proclaim, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What those angels declared, was the fulfillment of what those laboring under bad fortunes because of the sin that is in them and that's in the world needed to hear. God and Jesus had come to reverse their fortunes, to draw them back to God and into the hope of a new life and a new kingdom, but not built not on the oppression of this world, but on the justice and righteousness promised by his rule. God and Jesus made it clear once and for all that God was not through with us yet. And because he ain't through with us yet, we got a future. And if you're here this morning and your faith is in Jesus, take comfort in that truth because all that God has promised to do in us and through us will come to pass. He ain't through with us yet. He ain't through with you yet. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care where you've been, where you are now, or where you may even think you're going. God is not through. So I got a question this morning. Where do you need to hear that? Where do you need to hear God's I'm not through with you yet? Some of you are burdened. Some of you are burdened this morning by losses. People who were integral to your lives have passed on. And you don't know if you can make it throughout this life without them. But God is not through with you yet. You will make it and he will help you, giving you what you need to carry on. Some of you are burdened by injustices, injustice you've experienced and injustice you've seen. But God is not through with you yet. God will be with you to give you the power 
in those places where injustice reigns. Some of you are burdened by the rejection of others. Someone has told you that you are worthless, told you that you are good for nothing, told you that you are undesirable and the like, but you are God's, precious in his sight and honored, and he is not through with you yet. Don't let the rejection in this life convince you that you are other than what the Lord himself has said about you. Trust not the voices of your own heart and trust not the voices of those that despise you. God is not through with you yet and what he has promised to do in you, what he has promised to do through you will come to pass. Until the day when he grants you what he has promised to all who believe in him. Glory. 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 And Jesus, David's promised descendant, has come. And with him has come all the blessings that God promised to all who hope in him. You may be mourning today because of the circumstances you find yourself in. Do not lose heart. All the promises of God and Jesus are yes and amen. All the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. Take heart, people of God. Wherever you are in life today, whether, whether in joy or in sorrow, Jesus has come. And in him is your righteousness. In him, you have access to God. In him, you are preserved. In him, you have been made right. And in him, you will continually be led to what is right. In him, you have access to God. And through that access, the help that you need. And in him, you have God's faithful promise that he is not through with you yet. That all the promises of his salvation they are now yours, and they will be yours in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen, people of God. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Father, as we prepare to worship you, bless your people this morning. Give them the power through the Spirit to believe, to believe that in Jesus, in Jesus, who you have made king, Jesus, there is there's righteousness. Through Jesus, there is access to you. And through Jesus, Lord, we can hear that word over and over again. You are not through with us yet. Keep working in us. Keep working on us. Keep working through us, Lord, until you have made us what you called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.